0: Go ahead and pray as we begin. Join with me in prayer. O Lord God, God of grace and of comfort, we come to you to be instructed in your word that we might be guided by the truth. We pray that you would instruct us, therefore, and open our eyes to understand and to apply the things freely given us by the Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we come to chapter 18 of the Westminster Confession of Faith as we return to our series on the Confession of Faith. Um, Just put down the hymnal. If you're using the hymnal to follow along, it's in the back of the hymnal. On page eight fifty-eight, page eight fifty-eight, of assurance of the assurance of grace and salvation. Um, Kind of the question being addressed in this chapter of the confession uh, is: How do you know that you are saved and will go to heaven? Can you know that you are saved and will go to heaven? Uh, there's there's kind of two aspects of this, you know, that you are currently in a state of grace and since we just talked about the perseverance of the saints, it also follows that if you are in a state of grace that you will go to heaven, that you will uh, be saved from the wrath to come. Uh, so there's both the kind of present and future aspect to that. Um, but how do you know that you know this? Uh, and uh, can you know? Can one have assurance that one... Uh, is saved. Now, this chapter is speaking of the assurance of grace and salvation. Like I said, that, that one is in a state of grace and therefore shall be saved from the wrath to come. Uh, this is related to, but it's distinct from assurance of Christ, you know, being confident in him, his promises receiving and resting upon him for salvation. We talked about that under the chapter on saving faith, that saving faith is not just knowledge of Christ and of his claims and assenting that, yes, those are true, but also receiving and resting on him, trusting in him. Uh, That type of confidence, um, being sure of Christ, is part of faith. But what we're talking about here is kind of reflecting on your faith in Christ, that you do, in fact, believe that you are uh, saved by him. Um, Confidence and trust in Christ is essential to saving faith, but confidence that one is saved is not essential to saving faith. Uh, It is a reflection upon the fact that you do, in fact, believe in Christ. Um, A person may receive and rest upon Christ and yet be unsure that they truly believe. Uh, Now, maybe they do have assurance from the time that they believe in Christ. They aren't necessarily separate, but it's possible. Um, This would not be a doubt about Christ, but about yourself. You know, do I believe? Do I repent? And that's more of the focus of this chapter, assurance of grace and salvation, your grace. I mean, sorry, your salvation uh, of being in a state of grace. Um, Let's begin with Article 1, then, as we get started with this topic. I'll read article one. Although hypocrites, and other rege- Sorry. Although hypocrites and other unregenerate men may vainly deceive themselves with false hopes and carnal presumptions of being in the favor of God and a state of salvation, which hope of theirs shall perish, yet such as truly believe in the Lord Jesus and love him in sincerity endeavoring to walk in all good conscience before him, may, in this life, be certainly assured that they are in the state of grace, and may rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, which hope shall never make them ashamed. Uh, so this begins by distinguishing the false hopes of uh, hypocrites and carnal presumptions, kind of false uh, assurance, uh, and though the true possibility of assurance of salvation that the true believers uh, may have. Um, now, one reason why this was A chapter in the Westminster Confession was because this was something pastorally that they dealt with, people struggling with assurance of salvation. Uh, It was also, though, a chapter in the Confession because it was a controversy. Uh, The Roman Catholic Church at the Council of Trent uh, denied that this assurance was possible. In fact, they anathematized those who asserted otherwise. The Council of Trent declared if anyone says that he will for certain with an absolute and infallible certainty have that great gift of perseverance even to the end, unless he shall have learned this by a special revelation, let him be anathema. Uh, so the, the Roman Catholic Church would, would say, you know, unless you got a vision, you know, some, some special revelation to you in particular that you will persevere to the end, that, that no one can know with this infallible certainty that that one is saved and shall make it to the end and, and go to heaven. But the reformers here uh, say, well, yes, there, there could be some that are mistaken. Um, there are, could be some believers that do not have this, but it is possible. And um, it is something that those who truly believe in the Lord Jesus Christ uh, may have in this life. And we'll see later even without special revelation, you know, without some, here we're not talking about special revelation in the sense of scripture, but special in the sense of direct, a voice from heaven directed to you. You know, you don't need that uh, to know that you are saved. Um, Now, it speaks of uh, unregenerate men may deceive themselves with false hopes. You can think of what Jesus says in Matthew 7, where there will, uh, on the day of judgment, There'll be those who say, Lord, Lord, didn't we cast out demons in your name and do great works in your name? Um, And yet uh, Jesus rejects them, saying, I never knew you, you workers of lawlessness, that there were those who had hopes, but they were in vain uh, because they did not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. They did not follow him uh, as his disciples, and those vain hopes uh, shall perish. Um, There are also those with carnal presumptions, which is probably overlapping here with false hopes, but think of how in Deuteronomy 29, uh, the people of God are warned of this. In Deuteronomy 29:19, or starting at the end of verse 18, beware lest there be among you a root bearing poisonous and bitter fruit. One who, when he hears the words of the sworn covenant, blesses himself in his heart, saying, I shall be safe, though I walk in the stubbornness of my heart. This will lead to the sweeping away of moist and dry alike. So this is a, a carnal presumption. Uh, someone who says, I'll be safe. It doesn't really matter. I can walk in the stubbornness of my heart. I don't need to believe or repent. Um, I, and, and I'll be safe. This kind of presumption upon God without heeding the call of the gospel to, to believe and to repent um, is something that, that unregenerate men may have. And we're warned against not having that type of, of uh, carnal presumption. That's not all that Scripture says. It doesn't simply warn against false hopes. It also uh, speaks of the hope that we can have in Christ. In fact, it's probably uh, the confession of faith is being careful, sensitive to those who struggle with this. But Scripture generally speaks of this, I would say, as uh, relatively uh, normal. But uh, as we'll see in the confession, it's uh, something that God's people have to be encouraged and, and taught and led to. Uh, As the Apostle John does when he writes 1 John, he wrote a whole epistle to lead the people of God to this assurance. In chapter 5, verse 13 of 1 John, John's great with purpose statements, he wrote the gospel so that one may believe that Jesus is the Christ and have life in his name. But then he writes, 1 John, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. So he writes the gospel so that you may believe, and then he writes the epistle so that you, uh, those who believe may know that you have eternal life. You have this assurance that you yourself um, are saved. And so obviously it's possible if he wrote this whole epistle uh, to, to give you this knowledge of your own salvation. Um, that you have eternal life. You currently have it, and it's an eternal life, that it shall uh, go on in the age to come. And so scripture speaks of us rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God. Uh, Romans 5 speaks of this hope. What What is hope? How would we describe hope? Right. Something we anticipate, so something future that, that we're expecting, that we have this this expectation of something that's good, that we're looking forward to, that God has, has promised. Um, because it's God who's promised, we're talking about a, a certain expectation, not just, oh, I wish this, but you wish it and expect it, you know. And, and Romans 5 speaks of being justified by faith, therefore we have peace with God. And then verse 2, through him we also have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Uh, And so this is something that we should be encouraged to do, you know, if you have faith in Christ, that you rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, that, that coming glory which we shall share. Any questions on this first article? on assurance of salvation. Let's go to Article 2. There's four articles here, four paragraphs. Um, And you'll hear in this one also not only the basis of assurance, you know, the grounds of... How does one have this assurance? What are the grounds of it? But also, again, a rejection of the Roman Catholic understanding of this doctrine. It says... This certainty is not a bare conjectural and probable persuasion grounded upon a fallible hope, but an infallible assurance of faith grounded upon the divine truth of the promises of salvation, the inward evidence of those graces unto which these promises are made, the testimony of the spirit of adoption, witnessing with our spirits that we are the children of God, which spirit is the earnest of our inheritance whereby we are sealed to the day of redemption. So this is not just a, oh, I kind of wish and hope. It's, it's more certain than that what it's talking about. One might grow unto this certainty, uh, but there is this certainty gr- grounded upon uh, infallible grounds. And what are these grounds? First, the divine truth of the promises of salvation. Uh, God wants us to be certain uh, and he not only gives us his word, he had this word written down and he swore an oath to confirm it, um, swore by himself to, to assure us. Uh, so Hebrews 6 speaks of how uh, in order to make, to build us up in this, this confidence and assurance that uh, he swore by himself um, to that all who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. Um, to, to make this promise. Uh, whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Uh, these are promises of God that are true. Um, that's, that's one part of this, this grounds that's, uh, that we rely upon. Uh, but does scripture say, you know, call you by name and say that you are saved? it doesn't i i I mean the name peter is in the bible but it's not referring to me it's referring to another peter right um it it, how how then do you know that that promise applies to you does it apply to everybody is everyone saved no it's specifying whoever believes in the lord jesus christ right will be saved and so the second part of this is the inward evidence of those graces unto which the promises are made um inward graces like faith like repentance um Unless you repent, you shall likewise perish. You know, repent that your sins may be blotted out. Um, so if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you uh, your sins. Uh, so if you have this inward evidence of faith and repentance, uh, then yes, you can apply freely those, those promises uh, to yourself uh, to know that they apply to you, that uh, you are saved and you have this confidence of eternal salvation, that's part of how First John makes his argument. Not only does he describe the promises, like the one I just quoted, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive your, uh, your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness, but he also describes the children of God. You know, by this we know that we are uh, the children of God. By this we know that we have been saved. Um, and he d- describes uh, the children of God in at least three ways, uh, that they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, the antichrists, the the apostates, they they deny uh, that Jesus is the Christ. But faith in Christ is one of these inward graces that that God works in his elect and in his elect alone. As he says in 1 John 5, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. So have you been born again? How do you know? Well, I, I believe uh, in Jesus Christ. Also, uh, the children of God will keep his commandments. Obviously, not, not perfectly, but, uh, but truly. In chapter 2, verse 3, And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whatever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Uh, So there is a new life. There is um, a a way of life that is different than that of the unregenerate man. There is a a love for God and a desire more and more to keep his commandments. Uh, That's not the basis of your your salvation, but it's a a sign that one is saved. Um, And then... Related to that is that the children of God love one another. Chapter 3, verse 14. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. You know, so how do we know that we've passed out of death into life? Well, we see that life active in, in the love of the, the brothers, that we are children of God, and we, that becomes evident as we, we love His other children, uh, as we love our siblings. Uh, Our siblings in Christ. So, the divine truth of the promises of salvation... Then also the inward evidence of those graces unto which the promises are made now one can go overboard in that in in looking for something that is much greater than what scripture speaks of you know looking for perfection that one never has struggle with sin or something like that and we've already looked at sanctification and what the life of the godly looks like that there's struggle between uh, the flesh and the spirit Um, and and so one should be biblical and looking for this evidence Um, Peter speaks of Christians having a faith of equal standing with his not that we all have faith of the same vigor and strength as the apostle Peter late in life as a mature disciple Uh, but whether the faith is weak or strong as long as it's faith in Jesus Christ you know trust in him uh, it is uh, effectual as a instrument that receives his salvation Um, and so uh, it's might be weak and need to be strengthened, uh, but the question is, are these graces present, uh, and are they growing? Uh, Peter speaks of, you know, add to your faith virtue, and your virtue knowledge, knowledge self-control, and speaks of, if these qualities are yours and increasing, not that are they perfect, but are they present? Are they active? Is there life there? You know, then uh, you... You will have an entrance into the eternal kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. Also here, though, there's a third thing, uh, which uh, there's some debate about how exactly it works, but there's a third thing that's very important here, the testimony of the spirit of adoption. Uh, The spirit is uh, the seal of our inheritance. Scripture speaks of it as this, uh, this person, this... This gift that gives us this hope, this confidence, this ability to approach God with childlike confidence, uh, to have hope of this inheritance which we will receive. Uh, by the spirit we say, "Abba Father." Uh, that's uh, Ephesians 1, or Romans eight, 2 Corinthians one uh, speaks of this spirit as the guarantee of our future inheritance. Uh, that having the Spirit, we learn that we are saved and, and shall receive what uh, is coming. Um, now, the Spirit enables us to understand the other two things just mentioned. The Spirit enlightens our minds that we understand Scripture. Uh, the Spirit, I would say, also enlightens our mind that we might perceive His work, uh, that we have a sense of God's love, that we uh, can, can see this work of God in ourselves. And so he witnesses with our spirit that we are children of God. So the divine truth of the promises of salvation, the inward evidence of those graces unto which the promises are made, and the testimony of the spirit of adoption. These things give not, you don't need extraordinary, you know, voice from heaven, uh, revelation saying that, you know, calling you by name that you are saved, but in these ordinary ways, one has uh, assurance of salvation salvation. Any questions on that article? Article 2. Let's go to Article 3 then, attaining to this assurance. This infallible assurance does not so belong to the essence of faith, but that a true believer may wait long and be in conflict with many difficulties before he be a partaker of it, Yet being enabled by the Spirit to know the things which are freely given him of God, he may, without extraordinary revelation, in the right use of ordinary means, attain thereunto. And therefore it is the duty of everyone to give all diligence to make his calling and election sure, that thereby his heart may be enlarged in peace and joy in the Holy Ghost, in love and thankfulness to God, and in strength and cheerfulness in the duties of obedience, the proper fruits of this assurance. So far is it from inclining men to looseness. This article is asserting that this assurance of salvation is not always the possession of the true believer, but that this assurance is attainable in the due use of ordinary means by the grace of God, and that one has the duty to seek it, that it's a good thing. Uh, Contrary to perhaps Roman Catholic polemics, It's not something that inclines one to looseness. You know, oh, I'm going to heaven, therefore I can do whatever I want. Um, That's not the fruit of this assurance, but rather it it makes one more cheerful and grateful and diligent uh, instead. So it's not always the possession of the believer. It's possible for a believer to wait long and to struggle hard uh, before he partakes of this certain assurance, You know, to grow perhaps even by degrees uh, to greater confidence. But this assurance is attainable. You don't need extraordinary revelation. The Spirit illumines the believer through the use of ordinary means. What are, what are the ordinary means that it's referring to here? What are some ordinary means of grace that one might use? Prayer. Yes. Yes. Um, the, the ministry of the Word you know, reading and preaching uh, scripture, the use of the sacraments, re- re- recalling your baptism and what it means and receiving that by faith, partaking of the Lord's Supper, uh, and, and prayer, praying to the Lord. Well, uh, many of the Psalms pour out these struggles of the, of the believer seeking this assurance, sometimes walking in darkness, as Psalm 22 begins, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Or uh, Psalm 77 or uh, 88, where there's, there's struggles, there are doubts, uh, seeking the light of God's countenance. Um, so yeah, prayer. Now, in the Lord's Supper, that brings there's a larger catechism question that addresses the issue of assurance from the perspective of the Lord's Supper. Because in the Lord's Supper, we examine ourselves, right? And, and one might examine oneself and then kind of be unsure whether one is saved. And should one come to the Lord's Supper if one has doubts about his assurance when the Lord's Supper is ordained to strengthen one in this respect? It sounds like there could be some conf- conflicting opinions there. And so it addresses that question in the larger catechism. May one who doubteth of his being in Christ, or of his due preparation, come to the Lord's Supper. One who doubts of his being in Christ, or of his due preparation to the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, may have true interest in Christ, though he be not yet assured thereof. And in God's account hath it, if he be duly affected with the apprehension of the want of it, and unfeignedly desires to be found in Christ and to depart from iniquity, in which case, because promises are made and this sacrament is appointed for the relief even of weak and doubting Christians, he is to bewail his unbelief and labor to have his doubts resolved. And, so doing, he may and ought to come to the Lord's Supper that he may be further strengthened. And so, it's... it's careful here in how it describes it but you know one may doubt of his own salvation yet still have a true interest in christ and and god says that you do have this true interest in christ he he if if one uh is duly affected you know is uh once this uh, assurance realizes that it's a problem that one has these doubts that desires truly to be found in christ and to depart from iniquity And in that case, one should come to the Lord's Supper prayerfully uh, seeking uh, greater strength because that is what the Lord's Supper and its promises are ordained for, to strengthen one. In fact, this might be going too far, but I wonder if the uh, fact that there have been times where assurance has been a major pastoral struggle in uh, Reformed churches, especially in uh, Britain, they only had the Lord's Supper twice a year in some cases. You know, maybe it would have been helpful to have partaken of this ordinary means more often, you know, to, to strengthen one. Um, of course, they usually took it very seriously when they did take it, but we should take it seriously whenever we take it, uh, even if, if it be more frequently. Um, but the Lord's Supper calls forth our faith, that we exercise it and, and uh, apply these things to ourselves and are meant to build us up along with prayer the ministry of the word unto this assurance and it's a good thing which we should be diligent to seek not just languish there oh I wish I had it but to seek it Uh, it's a good thing this assurance and hope enlarges the heart in peace and joy and love and thankfulness and strength and cheerfulness and obedience to God and so it's not something that we should be uh, worried about like the roman catholic church would would uh argue that you know oh, if people believe that they're saved then they're not going to be diligent to serve god well hopefully in heaven we're going to be pretty assured that we're in heaven right we're not going to get kicked out and we're still going to serve god then um this is this is our goal let's go then to the article four the last part here <clears throat> true believers may have the assurance of their salvation diverse ways shaken diminished and intermitted as by negligence in preserving of it, by falling into some special sin which woundeth the conscience and grieveth the spirit, by some sudden or vehement temptation, by God's withdrawing the light of his countenance and suffering even such as fear him to walk in darkness and to have no light, yet are they never utterly destitute of that seed of God and life of faith, that love of Christ and the brethren, that sincerity of heart and conscience of duty, out of which, by the operation of the Spirit, this assurance may in due time be revived, and by the which, in the meantime, they are supported from utter despair. So, even once one has this assurance, it might be weakened, uh, might become uh, impaired, it might get interrupted, one might lose it for a time. Why would that happen? Well, it could be from negligence that you haven't been using those ordinary means, Mm -hmm. Uh, by falling into some special sin, you know, as when uh, David committed murder and adultery, you know, something like that, wounding the conscience, grieving the spirit, by a special temptation, uh, by God withdrawing the light of his countenance. There could be trials that, that shake us. But even if there's interruption in this assurance, the believer is not left without spiritual resources which sustained them through that trial uh, and out of which it may be revived. Assurance may be revived. Now, if you look at the footnotes of this article, if you have the footnotes there with the article, a lot of the citations are from the Psalms. They're thinking a lot of the struggles that are portrayed in the Psalms uh, where the psalmist asks questions and wonders, you know, where is God? What, what is God doing? And it, will, he, will he save, um, think of Psalm where he asks for the joy of your salvation. And um, Psalm 77. um, Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? But then he goes on to recall The works of God to meditate upon these things and ends uh, the psalm in in faith. Uh, Psalm eighty-eight pours out uh, the distress of one who is wandering in darkness. Um, and even ends. You know, you have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. Uh, There is he. Uh, experiencing the uh, distance between him and God. And yet, where does he go when he has this uh, distress and, and uh, not perceiving or having a sense of God's favorable countenance upon him? He goes to God and he pours these things out before the Lord. Uh, and again, it's using that means that God has given, which shows a little. A little bit of faith that is still present, even as like Psalm twenty-two, "My God, my God, why have you forsaken me?" He's still calling him my God and pouring this out before the Lord, uh, and it's through that that, in time, this assurance may be uh, revived, and uh, in the midst of it, the person being sustained from utter despair. So, any questions on this chapter of uh, of assurance of grace? and salvation it is uh, written in a way that's you know pastoral and and, uh, attentive to the struggles a believer might have but it's also written with the direction of uh, that this this is a thing to seek it's a good thing to have and um, Lord willing it's something that we will all have uh, that it is uh, spoken of scripture as one of these benefits which uh, accompany or flow from uh, justification, adoption, and sanctification. It's not like, um, uh, while it doesn't always accompany uh, faith, at least at the beginning. It's uh, still something that is held out before us and is uh, still a, might I say, normal thing that comes through the use of ordinary means, not like I said uh, something extraordinary only to like super special saints. Um, we have the, the catechism question on the children's coloring pages. Um, what are the benefits that do accompany or flow from justification, adoption, and sanctification? Does anyone want to read that or recite that as we conclude? And perseverance there into the end. Yes, yeah. But you have, and this is kind of describing either the assurance of salvation or at least the fruits of this assurance that one has an assurance of God's love, that God loves you, that you have peace of conscience, that you are forgiven, that you have joy in the Holy Spirit, Um, and then this increase of grace and this perseverance to the end, that these things are part of the package, part of the gift that we receive either right away or in time, you know, in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, and, And in that uh, we can rejoice. So let's go ahead and close in prayer. <clears throat> Dear Father, we thank you for your grace in the Lord Jesus Christ in giving us a, a solid rock upon which to build that will withstand the storms and the judgment to come. We pray that you would so work in us powerfully by your Spirit to enliven us in all uh, graces of Faith and repentance and love, uh, that we might behold your work and be assured of your love and have peace of conscience and rejoice in the hope of glory. We pray that you would do this so that your people might be enlarged and uh, their hearts enlarged in peace and joy and a cheerfulness in the ways of your commandments, that we might not cower in fear uh, but rather uh, love you and and to walk uh, with confidence. Uh, approaching you with joy. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.